You are listening to episode 47 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Charlie Hoveler. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey guys, I hope you've all been well. Uh, I apologize for the, you know, quite a bit of delay since this uh, podcast episode and the last one, uh, but it's because I've been working on a huge project, uh, something that's never been done before in tennis. Uh, as some of you may have heard uh, who are on my email list, uh, in a few days I'm hosting the world's first online tennis conference called the Tennis Technique Summit. Uh, and basically it's got 25, uh, over 25 of the world's best tennis coaches, including uh, some legends of the game and uh, fantastic coaches like Johan Creek, Jeff Salzenstein, Ian Westerman, Alistair McCaw, Dr. Mark Kovacs. Uh, you know, there's so many great coaches in this lineup, and it's basically uh, from March 22nd to March 27th, uh, and you'll be able to actually get a free ticket to watch all of the presentations and interviews that I conduct with these amazing people. If you just go to TennisTechniqueSummit.com or TennisFiles.com slash Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, uh, you can check out, you know, all the speakers, um, all the sessions, and uh, just sign up there and get your free ticket and, you know, upgrade if you want to lifetime access. It's totally up to you and uh, other stuff included. But, yeah, uh, it's just uh, something that I've been working on for a long time, for four months, uh, before and after work every single day. Um, but it's going to be worth it because it's just an amazing lineup and uh, a lot of just fantastic content. So, um, but with that being said, uh, you know, I hope you you uh, sign up for that um, if you'd like. Uh, but we've got a great episode today with Charlie Hovler, uh, who is the uh, CEO and founder of U.S. Sports Camps. And uh, it's really a fantastic uh, camp where I think a lot of you know about Nike tennis camps. Um, and so they're around the country with some amazing coaches like um, Billy Pate and Brian Boland. Uh, those are two of the top uh, college tennis coaches in the country. And Charlie and his team, Sierra and everybody over there have done a great job with uh, the camps. And uh, Charlie is actually a really fantastic player as well. Um, you know, he's very accomplished, has won gold balls and championships uh, in USTA uh, match playing tournaments uh, around the world and stuff. So I'm um, definitely excited to bring you this interview with Charlie uh, from US Sports Camps, and I hope you enjoy. So here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. I have the uh, great honor of uh, having Charlie Hoveler uh, on the Tennis Files podcast today. Uh, Charlie is a very accomplished uh, man in the tennis world. He's the founder and CEO of U.S. Sports Camps, which is the largest sport camp organization in the world. Uh, Charlie also uh, plays a lot of, uh, of tennis. He's been ranked number one in the world in singles, 
uh, in the ITF in 1991, uh, 1995, and also number two in 2001 in the 55s, uh, as well as number one in singles in the U.S. twice uh, in 1990 and um, with a string of 24 consecutive years with a gold ball. Uh, that's incredible, uh, between 1990 and 2013. Um, he's also an honorary member of the uh, IC of Great Britain and a member of the USTA Nor- Northern uh, California Hall of Fame. Uh, it's definitely a mouthful, but uh, Charlie, I just want to really welcome you to the show today, and I appreciate you joining us. Uh, very, very happy to be here, honored to be on on the show and because uh, you know, I think something that we all share here, anybody who's involved on the, in the podcast, and is uh, we love the game uh, for a lifetime. So <laughs> exactly, I mean, you've shown lucky. That. You've shown that throughout. You know, you've been playing. I think over at least fifty years now, and that's uh, mm-hmm. just such the testament to how great the sport is, and that it it, it is indeed a lifelong sport. And so, you know, obviously you're correct in uh, saying that, you know, whoever's here is really passionate about the game. So going on that theme, uh, Charlie, what do you love the most about tennis? Uh, two things. I, I love the competitive uh, nature of the game. Um, um, it's, you know, you can, assuming you stay healthy and motivated, you literally can get have tennis as a competitive outlet for an entire life, you know, from juniors all the way up to super seniors, 90 and over category. Um, uh, so I love that aspect. The, the other thing I find tennis is really therapeutic. Um, I don't, I don't know how many people think of tennis this way, but when I'm, let's say, taking a break, actually, I never take an unenforced break, but if I'm injured, say, I I just miss the, the thrill of going out and hitting the ball, whether it's drilling, whether it's a match. But I've always found that to be just mentally... Um, exciting. It's, it's therapeutic. It really is. That's that's the only word I can think of. Um, and of course, physically, uh, it's it's wonderful for your body. It's movement. It's sweat. It's uh, all the things you know you should be doing to stay healthy. And uh, you can do it very efficiently. You go out and play hit balls, work out for 45 minutes or an hour, it's a great workout. And so uh, that's what I would really find the most difficult to give up if I weren't able to to play tennis. That's fantastic stuff, uh, Charlie, 100% agree. And uh, we'll, we'll ask you about your secrets for, you know, how you've been able to play uh, for so long. But uh, when you mentioned that uh, – Tennis is therapeutic. Uh, that reminds me of an interview I was listening to on the Tim Ferriss show uh, with uh, Rain Wilson, who's Dwight from The Office, as uh, the guest. And he also said that, you know, one of the 
things that he loves to do the most is to play tennis because that's very therapeutic for him. And I just thought that was really cool mm-hmm. that uh, uh, such a famous guy like that, you know, really attributes uh, tennis to to something that can, uh, you know, keep him serene and calm and things like that. Um, but so I heard in an interview, uh, Charlie, that you started playing uh, when uh, you were 12 years old, I believe. Uh, can you talk about your very first memory on the court at that age? Yeah, um, in terms of eventually playing college tennis or pro tennis or even good uh, senior tennis, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, being 12 and starting tennis is sort of ancient, you know. Um, I played all these sports growing up, neighborhood sports, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, and didn't really get exposed to tennis till I was about 12. And my parents decided to join. They were, they, they were, we were going to join as a family, either a, a, a yacht club <laughs> and imagine <laughs> that or a tennis club. And I had been to camp and done a little sailing. So I said, Oh, let's join the yacht club. You know, come on. Um, and they came back one day and they said, Nope, we're joining the tennis club. And so I went down there the first day and got a racket. There was a assistant pro at the club. This was in the summer. And a really nice, friendly guy who's become my best friend in life. Uh, and he was a very good player. And he says, hey, you have a little bit of athletic ability here. Let me let me teach you and coach you and see see what you can do in this sport. So that's how it all started. His name is Jimmy Biggs, uh, and he's a lifetime friend. We've played a lot of doubles together. But he sort of took me under his wing, and uh, I started playing tournaments and found out I, I, you know, I loved to compete. Still included other sports, which doesn't really happen these days. I mean, people tend to, especially tennis players, tend to get locked in uh, early on in tennis, and they give up everything else else, which I think is a big mistake. But, you know, I played soccer and basketball and uh, in high school, etc. But that's how I started. And I was very lucky to have run into somebody who cared enough to coach and teach me. That's fantastic stuff, Charlie. And so, you know, when you were, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 and starting out, were there any particular uh, uh, professional tennis players that were your idols when you were growing up? Uh, there's one, the Rocket, uh-huh. Rod Laver. Uh, he's always been my idol. Actually, he's number two now because in my mid-20s, late-20s, I had a chance to play with Bjorn Borg. Wow. Uh, when he was only 16, we got matched up in a, in a Pro-Am event, um, and I sort of fell in love with Borg and and, and, you know, so he's still my favorite of all time, but Rod Laver, whom I just saw uh, in Melbourne, uh, was my idol. He was a lefty. We had the same racket, the Dunlop max ply, and just loved the way he played. That's, that's incredible uh, that you've, you, you in particular, that you play with uh, Bjorn Borg. Uh, fantastic stuff. So, you know, let's talk about your playing career. I mean, you've won... You know, forty-eight gold balls, which is uh, you know a ridiculous uh, amount of gold balls. But uh, just uh, you know, 
tell the audience uh, about your playing career and uh, you know what you've achieved. I was pretty good as a junior. I mean, I was ranked number one in New England, although that would never compare to like Florida or Southern Cal. I didn't play a lot of tournaments. I played enough. Um, went to college, went to Dartmouth, and played a lot there. Um, I loved college tennis, you know, because of the friendships and uh, just having, uh, you know, the coaching and the structure. And uh, I still have lifetime friends that I played against in college and, um, you know, teammates. Uh, I, I, I actually got to play in one national at Kalamazoo. When I went out there, I lost in the first round. And it was just a statement about, hey, I'm number one in New England. Um, that really doesn't compare to these other sections. This guy was from Texas. Um, <clears throat> so I've always had a little bit of, a, um, well, for lack of a better phrase, a little chip on my shoulder because I didn't feel like I could compete with these guys at that age. But, uh, after that, just by staying dedicated to the game and staying motivated and staying in shape um, and trying to improve technically, I would never be known for the, the te- technical expertise, you know, that I have. I mean, it's a, it's a funky game, but um, I think that's that that was a source of motivation to, to to continue to play competitively, to try to play at a national level all the way through the seniors, starting in the 30s and the 35s, 40s, you know. Now I'm in the 70s. Um, and I and there's a lot of other players like that, guys that I knew in the Ivy League and guys in other, and maybe some smaller schools who were never elite college players or didn't go into the pros, but just dedicated themselves to be a better player relative to their age group, to their peer group, you know, for, for years and years and years down the road, you know, and that's basically what's happened. That's great stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's really all about a uh, continual improvement. Uh, and, uh, really the biggest battle is against yourself. So, I mean, just, uh, that's very admirable, admirable that you've uh, continued to try to compete and get better as, as opposed to many players who, Maybe they reach really high level, but then they burn out and quit. So there's a lot to be said for, you know, what you continue to achieve. You also have to be lucky. You have have to be lucky because you can get injuries and you're done. Uh, You know, knees, hips, shoulders, uh, all sorts of things. Um, So it, it takes a big commitment to condition yourself all the time so that you can survive an injury if it happens or to prevent injuries because the further you get into life and in this game, the more important mobility is Um, mobility and conditioning. uh, And that takes a, a big, you know, day to day commitment and motivation. Right, Charlie. And when you say, uh, you know, it takes a, a big a day-to-day commitment, can you talk about, you know, your day-to-day commitment and what types of things you're doing that you believe have, have helped you to continue to compete at a high level, uh, you know, going into your 70s? 
Um, I think two things. Uh, one is you really have to practice hard, not necessarily long, but you have to be, when you practice, you, you have to treat it like a match. I learned that from the great Tom Brown, who was, you know, the number one player and I mean, he's a for, former Wimbledon finalist and doubles champ with Jack Kramer. So I used to play with him and hmm. he was 50 years old. And, um, but when we practice, which is like once a week, it was, it was intense and competitive. And so whether, whether I'm going out and drilling, maybe hitting with a, a pro or, a, you know, a, you know, a friend, another, you know, uh, player, uh, whether the player is not as good as I or much better, um, I, I think you have to walk on that court in a practice session and you have to hit every ball as well as you possibly can, move to every ball. And so you develop a mentality um, of, of uh, uh, you know, in, intensity and focus that carries over into a match. Um, the other thing is, I, I think, especially as you as you get older, maybe in the sort of starting in the 35s, 40s, and getting into the gym to build up your muscle tone around your joints, your your shoulders, your knees, uh, hips, etc. You know, with with light weights program for strength, uh, and to some degree flexibility, but uh, I think that's important too, and that's really helped me because I have this knee situation which I've been able to handle. You know, I'm, you know, basically losing cartilage as we all do. So, uh, I, I I think, and the other thing is, <laughs> you got to keep your weight down. Excess <laughs> mm-hmm. weight is an enemy of all tennis players. Uh, and, and that takes work, too. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. So... Yeah, no, I agree. Those are all really great points that you know everybody can uh, should take to heart and um, you know implement uh, you know those philosophies. And um, so you, you talk about the gym building muscles. Can you give us a couple exercises that you do in the gym uh, to help you uh, you know build muscles around your joints and keep you? I, I get on. Healthy? I pretty much get. I, there's a couple things. I, I I I pretty much get on the machines um, for the quads for the hamstrings. Uh, calves, um, and, um, there's, you know, mission weight lifting, you know, for, for the shoulders. I don't even know how to describe the various stations, but almost every gym has them. Um, and the other thing I found very helpful is the stretch bands, um, uh-huh. that you do exercises for, arms, shoulders, uh, and core, uh, using stretch bands are very, very good for tennis players. And, you know, online there's all sorts of exercises you can look up 
and you can carry a stretch band anywhere. So if you're traveling or um, you can get your workout in. Yeah, great stuff, Charlie. Yeah, I was uh, looking on Amazon the other day with my buddy Victor, uh, trying to find some good bands for him to uh, to purchase <laughs> uh, for that. So it's a large selection, a lot of fake reviews out there. So that's kind of tough to deal with. But um, that's great stuff. And so, you know, now let's delve into routines because obviously you you've won a ton, like like we mentioned a few times. So, what do you have any morning routines on match day? Or and or any routines before your matches that you implement uh, consistently that you feel have have really helped you. Um, I mean, this is sort of boring. Uh, I don't really do anything special. Uh, obviously, um, like, I want to get a good sleep, but right. uh, that's and that's what that's one of the real challenges of this sport is that you, you know you need to rest your body. And sleep, but your mind is sometimes unable to shut down. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this on the air, but I'm going to do it. I said one <laughs> of the <laughs> one of the things that made has made tennis playing, competing on uh, nationally, internationally, really nice over the last 15 years or so is uh, <laughs> Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a paid advertisement, but um, literally, I would be unable to sleep at times in tournaments and in front of, and before a big match. And so now I'll take like a quarter of an Ambien or uh, some sort of sleep aid, and it doesn't really affect you, and it allows you to sleep. But uh, in the morning uh, before a match. I don't excessively warm up, you know, I loosen up, I get on the, get on the bike, stationary bike to get the heart working and then hit some balls and stay warm and maybe do a little bit of stretching. I'm not a big stretcher. I'm not saying it's not good. I mean, it just hasn't been necessary for me. And, uh, and just, you know, have a nice quiet time and sit down and think, clear your mind a little bit and go out and play, go out and compete. Good stuff. I mean, that's pretty much all you really need to do. Uh, that's great. I mean, huge thing about, um, getting enough sleep. I think that's the, the one biggest thing that everybody can do. I forget, you know, who I was listening to on another podcast, but there was some basketball player who just committed himself to, uh, sleeping a couple more hours a night and all of his numbers went up that, that season. So that's incredible. And also obviously a little, little disclaimer for, uh, from us, you know, none of us are doctors, so we don't necessarily recommend ambient to everyone, but, uh, you know, it works. Maybe if it works for you, it works. Um, but yeah, great stuff. Um, and then obviously you, you, you do warm up in some fashion. Um, and there, you know, there's no need to stretch excessively as long as you warm up your muscles before you play. In fact, you know, stretching, um, static stretching before uh, playing at all is actually bad for you. So you're on the right track there. That's great. Um, and so what, what, what's some overall advice to senior players on how they can keep playing, keep competing and stay motivated? I think a lot of senior players can do more uh, than they think they can. Um, of course, you have to be motivated to do the work that it takes to, one, stay healthy, and two, to 
compete. Um, I think you should always try to, even if you have the same habits and the same grips and the same game, which, which all of which are hard to change, but technical improvement is something that you should work hard to get from a coach that you can relate to um, from listening to shows like this. Uh, or um, I, I think technical improvement is very inspiring. Even if, if you, say, improve your weakest shot, a shot that maybe breaks down in a match, and find what you're doing technically wrong with that and working on to improve it um, is, is, is very important. Um, and the other thing is that you can, I mean, one of the problems is, you know, people get busy and they stop practicing or training, but as busy as you might be to get in your tennis practice, your workouts on a regular basis, and I'm I'm talking three or four times a week, um, even if it's for 15 or 20 minutes that you grab, hop on court. I do some other things. Um, I'm a big believer in working on the ball machine and if you can believe it, and this really comes back from the 50s and 60s, the backboard. You know, I think a backboard workout um, for 15 or 20 minutes is amazingly uh, productive. So you have to make that commitment almost on a daily basis to improving technically and to keeping your 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 strokes in 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 shape and your body in shape too in the gym you know every if you do tennis every other day maybe and the other time is productive time in the gym it's probably just as good so um that's what i would say the senior players but it all starts from you know in your head you you have to be motivated to do it you have to have a vision of what you can you want to become as a player, as a competitor, whether it's on a national level, international level, local, club, whatever. I mean, it's fun to improve. I mean, our, my whole business with our camps is all about improvement and how motivating that is. And it's possible for everybody, even if you've been playing the game for 40 years. You can improve. Agreed. And you'll yeah. win more matches. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Just keep improving. Um, great stuff. Charlie, um, this one, you know, this one's a tough one. Um, you know, Obviously, you've been playing for a while. Um, but if you could give your uh, 20-year-old self advice <laughs> on how to play better tennis, what would you, what would you tell him? Oh, boy. Um <laughs> The way the game has changed, you can't play the game as a 20-year-old, as a junior, the way I play it with my grips. I have continental grips. I hit mostly slice. 
thumb flat, never been able to come over the ball. Um, so I would say make sure you have the right grip, grips that can maximize your, your potential and not limit your potential. If, if I had to do over again, I would have had different grips early on. Now, they've, they've worked, okay? And it's actually sort of a fun way to play, but you can't, you can't play that way now with, you know, Continentals you, and, and no topspin. So the good thing is that the more you get into the seniors, um, the harder it is to, to hit big topspin shots. They take a lot of effort and they take a lot of mobility. So the type of game that I have now, uh, which I couldn't really be effective if I were 20 now, now, you know, I'm 70 and all the way through the, the older senior age groups is very effective. It's very efficient. It's, it's, it's easy on the body. It's, uh, 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 it's, it's just, you know, a nice way to play. But when you go up against, you know, younger people with heavier topspin shots, you can't do it. So, uh, and grips are grips are the hardest thing to change in tennis. You can change mm-hmm. your serve, you can change your your footwork and stuff. Grips are really a nightmare to incorporate, uh, in you know, to to change and, and modify so that you get better. Yeah, no, I agree, Charlie. Uh, it's definitely you know it feels awkward when you want to change your grip and you try a, a new one out, then you want to, you know, instinctively change back. Uh, that's great advice about the grips. And actually, uh, you know, I asked this question to a lot of my guests, and I've actually never heard this one before. So it's uh, great to hear, uh, you know, a unique one uh, from you. Fantastic. Um, and, yeah, I obviously want to highlight, um, you know, your wonderful job with uh, U.S. sports camps and uh, Nike tennis camps. So I just want to ask you, uh, how was U.S. sports camps uh, born? Well, after college, I went to graduate school, got an MBA, went in the investment business, and I decided that I wanted to be in the sports business. So I took a job with a guy who was the owner of a distributorship for Adidas at the time, a company called Closco is out in my area here in Northern Cal. I go into work the first day and he says, hey, I hired you to do sales, marketing, blah, blah, blah things were booming. He says, however, I made an investment in a tennis camp company. This was the, probably the peak of the tennis boom of the, of the seventies is 1974. And he said, the company's really in trouble. I want you to get involved and you know, some of the tennis people here. It turns out it was a company called tennis America, which was started by Billie Jean King and Dennis Vandermeer. Um, and it was sort of a mess, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. Uh, anyway, the guy says, hey, um, what should we do here? I said, you know, what a great concept to have kids and adults at that time going to camp during the summer. Let's talk about kids because the first thing we did was we sort of eliminated the adults and, and focused on the kids. Um to, to, to get away, to go to camp, to um, learn from a, a pro, typically a college coach, on a college campus. I said, this could be 
a great business, scalable and all that. So we started, I did it part-time. Um, and we, we tried to manage it properly, proper amount of risk and not do stupid things like take on a lot of debt and things. And we, and we grew it slowly. Um, and it worked. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful business and it does wonderful things. I mean, you watch these kids go into camp. Now it's, you know, 16 different sports and it's a total of 700 camps. But just starting those camps um, and seeing what a great opportunity it was for kids to improve in their sport and they want to improve. It's just when you do it at camp, when you go to camp, you're on the court five hours a day and it's six days a week. Um, the opportunities for improvement and new inspiration are great. So anyway, that, that was the concept. And um, we made it work. I, I eventually did it full time, uh, 10 years down the road. And it's grown into a decent size business, but basically the same model. And we just have great coaches you do. who are involved. We do their business for them. They run the camps. They hire their staff. They really produce, you know, the experience for the kids. And we try to combine the, the uh, improvement and with the fun, you know, the evening activities and the socialization, the friends and all that. So I just love the camp business and haven't felt the need to do anything else um, for my entire like business career. But we, we, I, I basically, I sort of lucked into it, being exposed to this opportunity. Probably wouldn't have discovered this business otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the way you're from uh, choosing uh, tennis over yacht, you know, the yacht club, and then you know your <laughs> career choice. I think uh, we're all very lucky that you did that, and you know, I'm sure you're happy with the uh, decisions. Too. Um, and so, you know, like you mentioned, is this fantastic, you know, coaches that you've been able to get? Like uh, Brian Boland was actually a guest on uh, episode 34 of the Tennis Files podcast. Oh, was he? He was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Brian, what a guy and what, what a job he's done. Yeah. Yeah, incredible, yeah. incredible stuff. Um, uh, and then I know you have uh, Coach Billy Pate from uh, Princeton. Uh, you yeah. Know, who's on the, he's. He's a great guy as well. I've uh, you know I've seen his teams do very well. Um, so how many players have gone through uh, U.S. sports camps? You know, can you give us an estimate of that? You think a total in all the sports? Yeah. Well, eighty-five thousand last year. Wow! In one and year. In one year. Holy moly! Um, I I think we threw out. I think it was like one point two or three million over the period because it's sort of grown, you know, not dramatically, but, in, you know, 10% a year, number of kids and, you know, in 2000, I don't know, way back when we've been doing it 40 years, but I, you know, somewhere in excess of a million and, um, hopefully we'll keep it going. I, the, the camps tend to be fairly stable just because of, what we do in that, uh, you know, we're at the university of Virginia with Brian. Mm -hmm. Um, now if Brian decides to retire after he's won his, you know, 10th NCAA championship, <laughs> the new uh, coach will come in and he'll be a high level coach and he'll just 
plug right into you know the Nike camp at UVA. So we get very little turnover, and we keep adding camps because there's terrific coaches out there that want to do camps, that can do camps, that have facilities. Um, and uh, we're actually doing more and more day camps rather than resident, although in tennis we have quite a few resident camps. But uh, it, it's just a nice partnership. We have, It's actually a partnership with the coach. and. Mm. Because the coaches are busy, they don't they don't have time to do marketing, and registrations, and talk to the parents and customer service, and line up insurance and t-shirts and all that, which is what we do for all of them. They hire their staff, they run a camp, and boom, they go do their other coaching jobs. So it's 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 a nice partnership, and it's 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 win-win. I mean, they do well, and it's important for them for these camps and their entire financial, you know, structure because the, the, the the income from the camps is important to them, for them and their families. So uh, that's how we were able to, you know, work with Brian. And of course we have the relationship with Nike and and Nike is incredibly supportive and uh, Brian and Billy love to run Nike camps. Yeah, and they're uh, just incredible uh, coaches as well. It's uh, just great how you have so many wonderful partnerships there. I, I know you uh, have to run, uh, Charlie, so a couple quick questions for you. What do you think sets apart uh, U.S. sports camps uh, and Nike tennis camps uh, from other tennis camps out there? A good tennis camp is almost entirely dependent upon the director who hires the staff and trains the staff and invests time and energy and passion into the camp and the teaching and the coaching and the relating to the kids. And um, we let the coaches be the coaches. We don't, we don't have a set curriculum. We don't tell them how to teach. We have sort of guidelines on staff ratios and the amount of hours in a, in a, in a program, etc. cetera. But um, the coaches really, the directors feel an ownership. Well, they are, they're the owners of the camp. We're, we're partners, but they, it's really their, their product and they care a lot about it. Um, so we can take coaches of very different, philosophies, maybe in terms of teaching or uh, various aspects of how to help young players improve, you know, technique and training and things like that. Um, But what they do is by this commitment, by committing to helping them get better in their games, um, have fun and you know in a positive environment um i think that's how we can work with so many coaches and have the you know, like the quality and the quality control that you need it's it's part of the part of the partnership model and we're just able to have over the years uh gotten into these partnerships with outstanding coaches you know whether it's 
I mean, Dick Gould way back when at Stanford, and, and, and there's D3 coaches, and there's, you know, uh, high, some high school coaches, uh, teaching professionals at the club level. They all have the same motivations. Awesome. Help these kids get better. At the end of the week, say, yeah, this was a great experience. I made friends. I got better. So, um, and they do well. So that that's how we're able to have these networks in our sports, and it's true of all the sports. Fantastic, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I talked to, to Brian Boland for, you know, two hours, and really <laughs> everybody, you know, understood, you know, who listened to that, just the level of dedication and how, how great of a guy he is. So if you have uh, instructors like that, then, I mean, you, you're going to have successful camps for sure. Um, so, Charlie, where can we find you and U.S. sports camps and Nike tennis camps uh, online or in person? Uh, real easy. I mean, we've uh, <laughs> go online, and type in Nike tennis camps and or or tennis camps. In uh, you can say if you live in uh, Baltimore, you type in tennis camps and um, just because of our size and and how we run our website. I mean, we're we're right there in organic search. Uh, number one, always number one in organic search. We also have some sponsored links and then you, you click on and you have a choice of, uh, you know, come up U S sports, Nike camps and, and you, you can click right on the tennis and boom, here comes the geographical breakdown. So Maryland and Massachusetts all the way through and you there and you click and you see the schedules, uh, the schedules, dates, prices, everything. And uh, you can take your time, make some choices, and pretty easy to sign up too. It's uh, very efficient. But um, you know, we're the we're the largest. That doesn't necessarily mean we're the best, but I, I think we're as good as anybody out there. Almost all the camps. So that's where you find us. Great stuff. Yeah, and confirmed. You know, I I Google tennis camps and boom, U.S. sports camps <laughs> number it? one. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, confirmed, of course. That's nice, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great stuff, Charlie. So just uh, one last question that I asked all my guests um, to end the, the show. What's one piece of advice you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? You have to have a vision. You have to have a vision of one, what what you can be, and two, you have to commit to that vision however you can it's not easy i mean it 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 it, it is a day-to-day thing you got to think about it and you got to structure your day-to-day so that you can do the your 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 practice and your training even if it's a minimal amount but you have to stay true to this vision and it helps if you have a vision that's you know, a, a greater vision than maybe what you are now, what you think you might be limited to. I don't know anybody who needs to accept a limited horizon, a, a limited vision of what you can be. Because it's real easy to give up on that. Uh, you know, it's real easy to let other things get in the way. And we all have them. We have business and family and kids and you know, maybe it's finances or something, but uh, you know, it's it's worth it. 
it's worth we're all, we're all blessed to to be able to do this sport and we will enjoy it more the better we are at it so that that's what i would say yeah no that's fantastic advice that everything starts with a vision and commitment to the vision as long as you you have that um then you know all the motivations are there for you to keep uh pursuing your goals and improving that's fantastic um Charlie, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Tennis Podcast. Oh, what a Podcast. pleasure. This yeah. is great. I love what you're doing. And, you know, let's, you know, we love this game. And yeah, shows like this, thank you, are are just great. So hi to everybody out there who's listening. And mm-hmm. uh, God, God bless you all for being participants. And you can get better. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Beautiful words. Okay. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for the kind words, and I'm okay. sure everybody appreciates appreciates it. Thanks so much, Charlie. Yeah, thanks. Take care. All right. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Charlie Hoveler from uh, U.S. Sports Camps and Nike Tennis Camps. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, speaking with him on the podcast for this episode. Uh, and again, I really want to encourage you all to check out the Tennis Techniques Summit. Uh, I've put a lot of hard work into it and got. Uh, again, you know, some incredible coaches on there at top of the line from people who have won Grand Slams uh, to people who coach at, at academies and some of the top online tennis instructors as well. Um, so a great mix, I feel. Uh, also college coach as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a great event. And if you just go to TennisTechniqueSummit.com uh, or tennisfiles.com slash summit. Uh, you can uh, get your free ticket and, uh, you know, upgrade if you want. It's uh, all up to you, of course. Um, but you can watch all the videos for nada, uh, which is a pretty good deal in my opinion, of course. So yeah, I uh, really appreciate, uh, you know, you guys always supporting me and for all the kind uh, emails and messages that I've been getting. And also for those of you who have been giving me suggestions on who to uh, put on the uh, Tennis Technique Summit, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, obviously I have limited bandwidth, so I'm not able to accommodate, you know, all the requests, but I really do appreciate it and keep it uh, logged in my notes for next time as well. So with that being said, uh, I wish you all the best, and uh, I can't wait to see you all on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast and at the Tennis Technique Summit if you're interested. So uh, take care, guys, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.